Welcome to The Event Brew, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Event Brew. So excited because across the table, I don't have a full brew crew hanging out with me today, but I am joined by a very, very lovely host of Event Brew, Nick Borelli. Of all More seated, of a, a brew two, right? A brew two. Oh, this is like a a, a brew two, a brew two. That's what we should call it when there's only one host out of the four of us here. A brew two. I like that one. Yeah. Hey, I I enjoy alliterations and rhymes. It's the uh, the hackery of the marketer. <laughs> it's true. That's very true. You have to be like you have to have like some sort of rhyming skill if you want to be a marketer. Um, I think so. And for those who don't know this voice, this is Will Curran from Endless Events. I'm happy to be here. But before we dive into this week's topic, let's talk about what's in our cup, what we got brewing up, and what are you sipping on today, Nicholas? Yeah, coffee uh, is out. Uh, so Ooh, that's that's sad. Sad. I mean, yeah, it's like so, uh, we do record in the afternoon. So. Flame is oh, the, the the hot Cheeto Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought that Cheetos would be the backdrop of inspiration for a beverage? But uh, leave it to Mountain Dew and their uh, en- endlessly creative teams uh, who put together really endless amounts of variations. Oh, I like all the endless uh, preferences. Hashtag not sponsored. Um, did you have been drinking this before? Not yet. Yeah, I may have. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I mean, I, I certainly have been in my life. Uh, I don't know if I've brought it up in the in the show at all. It's uh, it's a weird. I mean, I think that they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel as far as ideas. There, there's <laughs> well, like three... trying to get like two market. You love flaming hot Cheetos. You love Mountain Dew. I mean, there's got to be some. I mean, they probably there. looked at their demographics and were like, "Man, this Venn diagram is practically one circle." So. Uh, <laughs> let's let's make some money guys and they just high five each other but yeah i mean we're living in a time uh where there are three variations of mountain dew baja blast so uh, you know i really think that like they're just like whatever someone says we're gonna do it like just just <laughs> dare me and they're like flaming hot cheetos they're like make it just do you it, think i was lying it. make it Dick, come on keep going push it well- well, I'll help elevate this uh, the taste buds of this episode yeah, a yeah. little I'm bit. At the bo- <laughs> I'm at the bottom, so. Let me at least get it up to, like, neutral. I, so I'm drinking a Scottish caramel tea. It's a, a Pierre tea, P-U-apostrophe-E-R, which I didn't realize was just, like, they ferment the leaves in some different way. Um, but the ironic part about it, to get all nerdy on tea stuff, is I brew it at the same temperature I brew white tea at. So even though it's like a black tea, you temp you do it at a different temperature and that's what gives it. But it's nice. It's got a little bit of sweetness to it and it's pretty delicious. Can't white teas are good. I I mean I, I generally have like teas like as the I've had them in cocktails and like I've mixed like Oh really? In them. Yeah. Like I feel like a white tea would just like it put anything in it, it's just gonna overhack like it's all about like the very subtleness with a white tea. Oh, it's usually sweet stuff in white tea. So it's mm. like like peach it, it white tea. That sort of thing. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. 
All right. All right. Well, we're not talking about tea today. That's just what we're drinking while we have this excellent conversation. So because it was just Nick and Will, I had an idea for a topic and was it's kind of something that's recently been on my mind and irking me in a lot of ways is like, what's the future of marketing? What's the future of event marketing? You know, like what's the future of primarily B2B because I live in the B2B world. Um, like what's the future of that marketing look like? Um, because of I feel like a big changing landscape and I'm happy to kind of talk about what I've been seeing and maybe you've been seeing something similar since you do B2B marketing as well, Nick. But since we're both marketing nerds over here, I figure it would be a good conversation to have as we start to head into this future of the unknown. Yeah, I mean, I'll take your point that I think everyone's hip to uh, the idea that uh, content marketing that is uh, uh part of an, a larger inbound strategy is, you know, it works and it's, it's, it's not trick based and it's, uh, it's adding value. It's a good way to start a relationship, all that stuff, like all that for the last 10, 15 years of, of the change in marketing, I think that's got out to everybody. Um, the problem is, especially I think exacerbated by the pandemic is that everyone became like massive content creators. Yeah. Um, I mean, none more than you, but uh, everyone else. <laughs> I feel like though, sometimes, you know, like that, that's, I'm exactly there with you on that point of like the content marketing feels like everybody's doing it. Like I even feel like as a machine that pumps out three different podcasts, we're joking about like, which podcast is this again? Oh yeah. This is the, the event brew podcast. We talk about, I, I do another one too, you know, man. Like you know? it, it's, there, we're, we're what are we doing we're, if we're not well, just podcasting? Well, the ironic part is like with how much content I produce, I'm speaking multiple times a week. I still feel like I can't get enough out sometimes like too, like it. And that's, you know, because there's so many people doing it. And, you know, what's really interesting, too, is that like everyone's gotten more sophisticated, too. Like, I feel like I've always been trying to be like once, like not try to be like Red Bull and you know, shoot a dude off, off of like the stratosphere and like film it in 4K, like Ultra HD. But like I want to say it's just a step above most people. And I feel like it's just it's almost feels like it's not enough for us to really stand out anymore. Like it, it's it's totally changed in so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that there's there's ways to do content that most B two B people are probably not will, like willing to do uh, that would ha generate a little bit more buzz and a little bit more interest and and likely help your brand. Uh, but it requires you to take some real risks, and mm -hmm. that's the thing that you generally see from content um, when it comes down to inbound. It like feels like inbound marketing content, right? You like you look at it, yeah. and you're like. Oh, this is sort of milk toast vanilla. I don't really feel like I have an opinion here. It's just an overview. It's one one and mm -hmm. the extremely good stuff ends up being uh, when you see people who are like have a really strong opinion that they divide people in half and they're like, oh, you know, this is a uh, controversial, et cetera. And that kind of thing, especially that you see on like social media. Uh, and you, you take the long form content, you take it there. It does really well. And that's the kind of stuff that rises above. But still. But does that really generate sales? Like, did that did anyone go? I saw that post, and now I I bought because of it. That's what like I I'm also questioning too the true ability for it to push like buyer behavior yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, it depends on what you're using it for. Like in the in the customer journey, uh, it generally does pretty well with awareness. And then once you get past the awareness mm -hmm. stage, all the other stages, it sort of doesn't necessarily push people across the line. Mm -hmm. uh, so like that's why your other marketing systems should really 
take from what you get and and then push it through that with you know different types of messaging um, for conversion. But I don't think the content itself is is necessarily a direct. It's it's part of a funnel that does lead to generation of leads, but um, it doesn't uh, you know it's, it's it doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy because you can't draw that straight line to it. Uh, I do think that there's there's probably hacks to um, a busy, a busier world. And mm. uh, a couple that come to mind are um, utilizing a content marketing strategy coupled with uh, like a PR strategy and mm. launching something, you know, like a story about your company uh, that is part of a bigger story that's not just about what your company is doing, but is what, you, what, what your p- company is a part of that's a bigger story than just you. Uh, mm. and it, it take that kind of PR strategy and apply it to the content you're creating and do like a cycle, you know, like a, let's call it half a year or a uh, quarter is, is a little bit quick, but something like that around, uh, like this is the end. It's the end of this age. It's the beginning yeah. of this new age. So, so I'll use an example. And you're a part this, of that. Like the, yeah. basically HubSpot created the term inbound, right? Like they yeah, basically exactly championed that. the idea of inbound marketing. They called, mm-hmm. you know, it was content marketing with a little bit more and like their sales part of it and things, but like they basically like created that term. Like that's a dream right there. It's like basically yeah. being able to like have your, the most best thing would be is your brand name is related to the verb in which you do it. Oh, I'm going to sneeze into a Kleenex. Oh, I'm going to, you know, but Google it's, that. You know? Yeah, but, I agree. That's just enough friction if you, if you force that on people that they sort of think that it's a marketing move and it's a sales move and it's not a story and it's not mm-hmm. like there's a real thin line <clears throat> thin line like that like i used to think about promo t-shirts like, mm-hmm. as an example like you want a great promo t-shirt like you don't put your logo on it you kind of have to but don't make it obvious and make it something that somebody would want to wear divorced of that and then you might get mm-hmm. them to wear it Th- there's that you know like gifts so sometimes like that too like this 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 guy i'm like think is a genius that wrote this book giftology uh john it's Rulin. like we did an event icons episode I know. about it or something <laughs> that yeah. was introduced by nick <laughs> definitely go yeah, check out john, uh, john roland R- roland yeah uh, yeah is his name he's super super smart but like he you know he says like don't don't put your name on it put their name on it and <clears throat> there's something to be said about just kind of like and it's kind of a specific example but uh, of being part of something bigger uh and but having it all fit the way you think and the way that you are and and pushing out the story of the bigger idea so like for instance it would be like the like i've been toying around with the idea that like the information age is dead it's the experience age and talking about mm-hmm. like what you know what does that mean you know like organizing information and distributing information uh and um and housing information like that's that's a generation ago then that's ended and now it's the idea of all that in the, in the confines of an experience and if you're not distributing that through experiences that you're behind and you know you set that up it's just an it's it's a kind of an example of what i'm getting at when you when i think about like how to position uh a company through pr uh i tried to like i'm not going to hook anybody on a story about our company or any company right like it's just like well pay for that um but i can hook somebody on the idea of a bigger trend that is mm. taking place um, and be a part of like a you, movement in some ways. Correct. Yeah. A movement is, is a perfect example of that. Um, the difference between kind of like inbound marketing and, and, uh, marketing to people directly and, 
uh, the idea of a movement is, is that um, if you market at someone with content, you're creating maybe some change within them. Uh, if you create a movement, you're creating change agents. Uh, and those people are evangelical, even if they're not in a buying cycle, they'll tell other people. And that's kind of moves them further along the lines of the customer journey into uh, the recommendation stage. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that people have to believe in you first to do that. Mm-hmm. And to get there requires you to have an ethos. It requires you to have, you know, some sort of flag to to fly. So you're you're like, hey, endless. You know, we're not. You know, we're, we're sure sure we facilitate your events, but really, where our bigger mission is blank. You know, it's it's yeah. to you know, et cetera. And that kind of thing is. And then you figure out, okay, what's the next stage in that thing? Like, what's the biggest thing that can should will happen to uh your and that that your mission is is about and with that you have the ability to rise above because it's not a bunch of content marketing around you it's about a about a bunch of content marketing around Mm. this cause uh Mm. and that would separate you a bit so taking that that kind of like pr like what's your story right now you know like in the 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 backdrop of of july 2020 like what does the world need um what do you, you know, and where does the crossroads of some big thing that's happening that you are, that you intersected? And then you talk about mostly, you know, a kind of 80 20 rule, mostly about the cause. And then the 20 is about how, where you fit into that and how you live that. Um, that's, you know, it could be a golden circle kind of, uh, you know, take, I suppose, as well. Um, but so, okay. Uh, so, so, so I like, I like this a lot. Like, so let's, so let's play on this idea, this concept sure. then of the, the, I know you're technically say it's not always just necessarily a movement, but I'm just going to call it a movement. You create sure. like basically a PR movement. So, so is the is the role then at that point the role of events is to bring people together around this movement in some ways? Like that's why I'm almost thinking again to use HubSpot as an example is that for example they create the inbound and I can't use the word conference because they hate using that word conference, but the inbound event that they create it's all about inbound. But HubSpot has the biggest booth. I think it's still all like kind of orange branding on it. Like everybody knows it's HubSpot's event, right? But in reality, it's about like everything related to inbound, you know, is your goal of an event almost to be like a rally for it yeah. in some ways? Yeah. Make it, make it look, if, if you're living your mission and you care about your mission first and then the products and services that you have afterwards are, are the way that you express the mission, but the mission is bigger than that. And your, your ultimate goal is to create an impact. Yeah, you should, if you're a marketing agency, you create inbound uh, and it's obviously lead generating and helps the, the building and all that, you know, the, all the company, et cetera. But really it's about facilitating larger discussions and pushing forward uh, the, the mission that you have, same thing with like, you know, let's say you're an event, like you're an event design company, you know, your Mm -hmm. story could be, I mean, you could create design con where you, you bring in people who are, I don't know, designers of all these different disciplines and they're talking about design and, and this and that, and you're the host of it. So you get, you know, the residual of, uh, thought leadership, you get, uh, passion around that you get credibility uh, presenting these things, etc. Like all those good things come with it, as long as you kind of like de-emphasize on paper uh, the the business and 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 that it is a, a sales transaction. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think all that stuff is like doable. Like if I was doing designers, you know, I'd bring them in and I would. T- but it has to be some kind of hook. Is like why now? You know, like what's like 
any good story, you know, you have to figure out what the setting is, who's the protagonist, what's the antagonist, you know, what's at stake, uh, give other people stake in it uh, and give them some kind of reason to get into it right now. Okay. And then, you know, I'm guessing too, like we, we've talked a lot about community and how it's like future and events and everything like that. If you haven't, probably there's already few event brew episodes about it and event tech podcasts event icons tons of content on community you can go check that out but is the role of the community now then also to be a route of the online rally place for that movement as well so this all starts to make sense to me but my question will become what so two-part how does so if your company is all about the mission of what you're trying to accomplish, it can make a lot of sense too that like if you're the best at it, people will look at you and be like, I want that. You do that. You're the best for it. In some ways, like HubSpot, I want to do inbound. HubSpot is the best software to do it. I'll follow along it. But what happens when people aren't aware of even the movement? Like does your marketing yeah. all become promoting the movement? Or like how does that work in terms of like – you know, and I'm thinking, let's let's bring it maybe back to events. How can events help this like larger movement if no one's ever even heard of necessarily movement? Because it makes sense, like from a like an evangelist standpoint, an existing customer standpoint, um, even uh, you know a lead or something like someone who's already kind of in the the journey, the customer journey. What happens if they're like completely unaware of it? Because like I don't see people who have any idea about inbound being like. Oh, inbound marketing conference. I'm going to go to it in some ways. Or is that not the point? Is it not supposed to be at the front of the funnel and it needs to be in the middle to the end of the funnel in some ways? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to deploy it, honestly. I've, I've done it a few different ways. I mean, one of the things is you can create kind of a bedrock of actual PR where you make your declaration of like something about the world that is different or should change or um, is a new idea or a new word or new something. Uh, and you go to other people's channels and you, you submit that, you know, you, you try to figure out how you can be a thought leader and, and speak on that topic. You, you take other people's, uh, you submit things to, um, you know, other places and, and, and you try to create a third party pushed by you uh, that there is this new paradigm, that there's this new way, that there is uh, a direction that's most important, and your mission is to you know to to see that through. You create that kind of at the beginning, and you cross pollinate on other people's channels in order to have an established. And then when you reference it, you're referencing it as as spoke you know as as you've heard in places like this, this, and this. The wave of this is coming. Uh, and you, you, you use other people's channels to, you know, set the, set the groundwork. And one of the things that makes this strategy, I think, plausible is that we establish that everyone is creating a glut of content. So they're yeah. starving for more. So you give it to them and you give it to them from the narrative that you've created, uh, in order to get the ball rolling and create some awareness and create some foundational. Then you take all your other work. And I, I'm a big proponent of creating um, advertising and marketing that is dedicated to at least two groups. Uh, one group is someone who has interest, but not now, not in a buying cycle. And then people who are in a buying cycle. And then with the stuff that is aimed at people in a buying cycle, uh, I, I kind of go right to the point and put them into the funnel in, in a super direct way. Book a demo, call us today, uh, send an email, fill out a form, whatever it is, depending on the organization. I have a certain uh, bit presented to that. And I have other people who are like semi-curious. They're the right people. 
uh, but they, they're probably not in a buying cycle. And I parallel, you know, I split up my marketing, some aimed at one and some aimed at the other in order to get them, the people that are ready to buy now and people that would maybe be ready to buy at some later point. And then you get them into, a, you know, a cadence that continues um, you know, in perpetuity until they they get sick of you or you convert. Uh, I think that this kind of stuff, as far as like the, the story thing, probably does better on the longer tail, frankly, because it requires you to... Uh, have a bunch of points to really believe that like, man, I've seen the word inbound how many times now? And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe it now. It, it's not like I'm sure you just seeing that once, especially in the 2000s. Uh, there were so many different variations on content marketing. Everyone was talking about content marketing. I used to go to content content marketing world, which world. was in Cleveland. Um, and that had its own kind of like uh, parallel journey as far as like trying to own the ideas of things uh, that Joe was doing there. And um that you know one of them took and because it became so um it, they really broke it down into a system that seemed mm. like it was not necessarily something of a brand but of science of a of truth and that's uh, i think a key element of it is that you know if you repeat something enough it becomes sort of um real and in 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 marketing uh for a funnel it's the you know the multiple points it takes to someone to convert so yeah i where you deploy it to me it's probably better for the longer term buyer like the the more points to conversion buyer uh whereas i would probably be take the things that you gained from that all the access points the places you were referenced all the things that are required for people who are in a buying cycle that would naturally come from the longer you know engagement in that like for instance inbound what is, you know, what is or I'm sorry, like they, they, you know, add that word to the lexicon. What does that do? Like what's the uh, exhaust of that that helps convert people in the, sh- in, in the short sale? It's probably things like, you know, uh, leading experts because they have a conference about stuff like say that, you know, mm. HubSpot is the number one marketing platform or, uh, you know, uh, inbound uh marketing uh pioneers or like there there's a bunch of like superlatives that they get that yeah, are the kind of things keywords. That, yeah that you would re you would reconstitute for the short-term buyer for the people in a short buying cycle and in an active buying cycle probably is probably the better way to say it uh because not necessarily the short buying cycle but it's in the active buying cycle so like that's very much how my mind works it's hmm. my message is going out to two groups of people long term or long uh, tail and short tail and I want to be able to split my messaging in order to resonate with uh, a certain percentage with one and a certain percentage of the other, um, because I know that as a marketer, I have the power to do a lot to change your mind and, and nudge you in certain directions. But I can't make you buy if you don't want to buy. So right that's then. like that's it. That point is exactly what I see changing so much in marketing right now um, is that like, you know, for example, like endless we were we did all the content and everything like that. And it used to be really easy that we call people up and be like, hey, so let's answer your questions and solve your problems based on the content you've downloaded. And then now, like, people don't even want to answer the phone. They don't yeah. want to they don't even look at the emails. Don't say the word demo. Message. Yeah, like, you can't, yeah, <laughs> they exactly. Don't want that. Exactly. Like, and, you know, like, what's crazy is that, like, I see this data because I'm actively asking people on the forums, are you looking at more vendors and suppliers? 
And they're saying yes. And then I say, what sort of vendors and suppliers look for? And they're choosing the services that I provide that they should know that I provide because we talk about them in our blog post. We're writing about them, right? They're all we're all aligned on that strategy piece, but they're still not opening a conversation to have with it. So the answer to that, I think, is because exactly what you said. If people don't want to buy, they just don't buy now. And that used to be like something we'd say all the time, like people don't want to be sold. They love to buy and like all these things like that. And that's very, very true. But there was always a way to at least like introduce yourself into the conversation and like kind of put yourself it was like in the there. sales but excuse forever, right? You know, and uh, yeah, people people thought of it like that. Like uh, that's a salesperson just making an excuse. Like your job is to make them want to buy. And, you know, uh, first off, I think that most like the the stories out that like anything that you're offering willing to offer now you'd be willing to offer at any time uh so the the sense of urgency that that is uh forced is like pretty much non-existent Uh, and then i think that the main thing is this this is the most researched buyer age of all time like they want to research this forever uh and people believe whether that's true or not but they believe that they're the most like they're incredibly educated buyers. Like no one, there's really no excuse to not be. Uh, but so therefore they think that they are. And we all know people that have like, you know, intricate products mm-hmm. and services to offer that like they don't know half of anything half the time and and that you don't know what you don't know. Uh, but they still think they know everything. And with that comes like a lot of um like uh, no sense of urgency and also like they've they feel like they when they're ready to go um they're ready to go but it has to be on their terms because you can't force them to do it uh and then we're also living in a time where there's like an absurd amount of advertising that is in, you know in uh coming at you in all directions and that people are are wise to it and they understand what like remarketing is and they understand uh that their choices online are not you know serendipitous by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) you know like is that what we tried to get away with is saying like oh it's pretty crazy that i you know i was thinking about you the other day and there you were my ads what a what a coincidence yeah and it definitely doesn't really work that way anymore too like when like i like i feel like there's tons of products that when I buy, like, I don't know, I sometimes like, I always try to equate it back to like my experience as a buyer when it comes to marketing sure. stuff and any doing anything, right? Like how would I want it to handle and to me? And cause a lot of ways too, that's like, it's a very, very easy way to design things. But you know, like I'm thinking about like every purchase that I've made content has played the kind of a, a point in it where I've like, you know, seen like, a, like for example, it's tough because like, you know, equating event management services for an entire, like, Huge doing his conference is totally different than like I recently was researching getting walkie talkies for like when I'm going to festivals so I can talk to my friends, but I wanted the ability to text as well through the walkie talkie. Found this Motorola walkie talkie, does it? It's awesome, right? And that was like that was a, a purchase I researched a lot, I thought a lot about it, you know, and then decided like to pull the trigger. And content played a part because like I had first Googled like best walkie talkies for festivals. And then, you know, I, I forgot how I ended up stumbling upon these Motorola ones, but then I found like, you know, the texting thing that I'm Googling other walkie talkies that did it. And then, you know, I went on Amazon, I read the reviews. So there was like content played a piece I do all of that it. stuff too. Like, uh, you know? I, I think, I think another thing that you just identified is, is the, uh, the third party, um, content too, you know, yeah, like, like the other people writing the content too. Yeah, I I don't know. It's almost like first person content is kind of like people see through it now in some ways. Maybe. Yeah, people are um, blind to. It. I mean, like marketing messaging in general. Like it it, it requires. I mean, there 
it's funny like when i look at web design now like I, I look i can look at like especially when it comes to technologies i can look at like 10 different websites and i can name like five things that they all have like they all have testimonials they all have logos of large organizations they're probably all the same locations or the uh, uh, companies you know and you're like what does that mean it's like people need so in in behavioral science uh, there's all of these uh, cognitive biases that people like lean on. And like the one they lean on the most is, is their anchoring bias. And there is a bunch of those biases in play when it comes to marketing and authority uh, and, uh, and like is a big one. And like a lot of times mm -hmm. that people just like default to that when they, they see like a larger organization than them. And then that person saying, this work that they, they go, well, I'm, yeah, you know, no, no one got Microsoft. Hired IBM kind of stuff, basically. Exactly. And everyone's worked for IBM. Uh, so it, it becomes a little tough, but like, yeah, I mean, that's another component of your marketing too, of like considering the fact that like, what do people read? They read reviews, they read, um, they listen to third party, like a stunt that I've done a couple of times for different companies for, uh, bridal shows, uh, is to bring a, a bride in their booth. Uh, and have her bring her photo booth, or I'm sorry, her for, uh, photo book, and show people her wedding. Uh, and uh, you know that you were the provider of the the service for that wedding, mm -hmm. and like that's going to be a better salesperson than your salespeople. I still think there's something to that of the idea of having people and expose people to enthusiastic clients uh, as opposed to your sales team because the authenticity is there. Uh, and and that's why I mean, like the movement thing is so important and like this community uh, yeah. aspect because you can expose people to it in a more comfortable place because like I don't expect you know any of my customers to write a blog post on their own blog about their experience with me I can sometimes barely get them to want to be like let us do a case study video on them alone right, right. so like the but the question is like create an whenever, event for them though like make so uh, yeah I mean like I'm I'm, spit, I'm making up stuff on the on the fly here but no uh, no no you well you're you're right like like when you put them Feature in like them. Yeah, you put them like on a social network though like they're always willing to mention the name and give a url real quick or tag totally. someone really fast but, but create a virtual event with all your clients uh and of all the things that uh you know come up with a theme like come up with a mission like the story right uh and then i bet they have something that is part of their mission or their company's mission that intersects with that as well and have those people be your thought leaders what do you get out of that well the references that they give are likely going to hinge on, on experiences that you've had, you know, with with uh, their events through you. Uh, and you I mean, obviously, there's a huge retention play there. There's lots of third party content there, et cetera. But like uh, it's you you produce events for a living, like producing an event where the mm. stars of your events are your clients Custom. seems Customers. pretty cool. Um, I'm sure and that's like how HubSpot's inbound started was they invited totally. a bunch of marketers down that were speaking that probably used HubSpot and that's how it was like, right? Like well, they pick people Barack Obama's the I mean, headliner, but that probably wasn't always well, that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. Like that, there's an arms race with some of these larger marketing conferences. I remember like with content marketing world every year, there was like one headliner that was like a Hollywood person. It was uh, Kevin Spacey one year, which I feel like they probably haven't brought him back uh recently uh nope. but uh like shatner was one year and it's like yep. it made a real stretch because they're like well these are content creators and you're like i guess, uh, I guess. you know yeah. and like every once what's in a while those what's, interesting, the, the, it's, what's interesting about those like headliners is they get like someone who probably wouldn't have ever attended that conference to like be interested oh. in it but then like 
reality, like all the meat and juice is like in the is in the person who works for an agency that hacked uh, uh, this one thing. Like that's what I loved about inbound was just like sometimes the content. I went to the sessions where I was just like wearing as nerdy as possible, and you're not like no one knows who you are, but you figured out how to like hack the Google Ads algorithm or whatever it was. Yeah. Okay. So so we talked about like okay potentially bringing the customers together and what that might look like, and maybe that's yeah a big part of the movement strategy. What are the sort of like major things you see happening with event marketing, marketing in general? Do you think now that we're moving, you know, almost from this space where content is no longer the lead gen, it is the almost awareness. It almost reminds me of the transition that social media marketing made where you could like use social media marketing just to get sales. And then now it just became what you'd had to do to maintain brand awareness. It almost feels like content is at brand awareness and, you know, engagement kind of level stuff, but it's not going to be the thing that ultimately drives to buy, but potentially bringing people in person or virtually or in a hybrid sense could do that. And if you do the right kind of movement or maybe building in a community around it, what other thoughts do we have? Yeah. I mean, on the macro macro trends of where technology is going in communication, it's all, you know, we're, we're, we're at the beginning stages of, a new generation of the internet, which is, you know, web three. And then there's a bunch of principles associated with that. I'm not saying like adopt a web three strategy in July, 2022. Uh, but I am saying that there's things behind there's light it ways that, to do that though. Like there's I light mean, ways like, to do it. Like, uh, you know, if you build a community on a third party platform and things like that, eventually when you decide to do AR VR, or if you decide that you're going to do like a, uh, a purely decentralized, uh, platform or whatever it is, like, that's a lot easier of a lift than, Hey, all my, my audience is on Facebook and I'm pumping money on ads on Facebook or LinkedIn to like getting over to, you know, this decentralized platform. Yeah. I mean, I think that like. Some of those decentralized platforms or some of the more Web3 platforms at least offer the opportunity, uh, depending on where you're at, uh, to own a little bit more of that. Uh, ownership seems to be one of the pillars, but I guess I would get in bed with the pillars of Web3. You know, and I'm not saying like necessarily here's one platform or another strategy to use, but I would I would look at the the way that things are moving and what do people want? They want decentralization. They want interoperability. They want um, more of an experience within their digital uh, environment. And that's probably the one that's easiest to co-opt. Um, think less about the distribution of information and ideas and content and more about uh, how to create a digital experience that makes people feel connected to you. Um, a digital experience, by the way, doesn't have to be anything that's like technologically uh, uh, crazy. It could simply be a thing on your website that like opens up a Zoom call uh, that has a person immediately on there that they can talk to and have a real conversation with somebody. That's a bit yeah. more personal, a bit more human. And like hu the human element of the, of the uh, conversation, like that's what's been missing, I think, in this content marketing, in this inbound world, is that it's all built for scaling. And, and maybe, you know, and, and, and to some extent, like that, that, that that's the push-pull, is that scaling dehumanizes things and scaling... Uh, makes things, uh, you know, a number and you feel like you're just like everybody else's strategy and you're just one more of anyone else. Maybe, you and know, scaling, think, sucks. <laughs> scaling sucks, man. I mean, uh, it's, I think about it constantly. I'm like, great idea. That would work. People would love it. Wouldn't scale. Yeah, and totally. I, totally. To <laughs> I think about like most of my great ideas get shut down at the I don't, can't scale that up or like that's going to yeah. be eventually at some point. I'm not going to have enough time to do that or whatever it Correct. is, you know. And, and uh, honestly, mo most of us that are in the, like the, the services, hospitality, 
uh, world, like in some capacity or not, like we're built for not thinking like scaling. We're, we're built mm-hmm. to think about each customer as a human being one-to-one let's form a relationship um and scaling is sort of not necessarily in our dna uh because we care more about the individual and otherwise we wouldn't you know we would have been mark zuckerberg's instead of people that that bring people together in a conference room right like zuckerberg's like how do i dehumanize communication as much as possible by reducing people to abstracts and uh, and facilitating rhetoric and you know everything else that's negative associated with how he has changed communication, and the idea that there is a Web three taking place that that it is a reaction to Web two, uh, is a moment for pause to consider that this is only happening because people want it because there's something missing, mm-hmm. and if we're trying to make ourselves different and and provide a way that connects with people in a way that they're not getting somewhere else. We should look at how people are rejecting certain elements of how we communicate currently and adopt the things that that are the opposite of that. And uh, that's why I would say study what the bedrocks and the pillars of Web3 are, because they're about more human connection. Like Mm -hmm. it's it, it really is the missing piece. Like we're probably in a time, hopefully at the tail end of it, of some of the least human types of uh, communication that we've had the most scaled the least human and as we get more sophisticated we'll balance those scales you know like we'll we'll try to figure out a way that the ultimate goal of what what, what's next is uh is is a healthier balance between the scaled communication and uh less Mm -hmm. friction in communication meaning you don't have to get in a plane to see someone and uh having that be everything that you're like biologically set up to communicate with you know you're not biologically set up to communicate with a profile picture and and a name uh you are biologically um you know evolutionarily designed to read absolutely without any kind of cognition whatsoever the emotions and what you're seeing in someone and be able to react to that on the fly uh and and know more about that person and feel closer to that person and understood and then have behaviors change etc that's what we've been missing. So think about when you're talking about your marketing now, maybe it's more video, maybe it's more honesty, maybe it's more saying things less like a scaled robot machine that is, you know, what people expect from an intro and what people expect from, a, uh, you know, uh, stock photos and, and, and creating more authentic, maybe less content that's more potent. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm just looking at like trying to take the negatives that are in uh, the environment or not even the negatives, but like looking at like, how do you stand out? The easiest way to stand out is to look at what everybody else is doing and don't do that. Um, You know, (laughs) even when I was in like to bring the Brattle Show thing back, even when I was um, managing teams that were at the shows, I would I would walk around and I would listen to how everyone open like opens their conversation to new people as they walk by. And I'd remember all those things. And I'd come back to our booth and say, all right, here's the things we're not going to say because everyone's saying, uh, hey, what's your what's your wedding date or, uh, you know, or how, you know, what's this or what's that? They go to the point they go to they try to do sales, et cetera. So we're not going to do that. We're going to stand out, you know, and we're going to yeah. be like we're just going to talk about today and we're not going to mention what we do or what we sell until they ask. And I, I used to have that rule because they're not a lead. Or they're not someone who's interested in sales. They're a human being until they say they're not. Until they say, hey, I have a wedding on this. Or, or, or what do you do? Until they say that, 
just pretend they're a human being somewhere else. They're not a lead. They're not a, a cattle yeah. call. Imagine you're at like a bar or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so I think you bring up some good points about like the scale port that I want to like dive into a little bit too, is that like, if we believe that scale is where there's a lot, like that's not the future and that more mm. intimate experiences are better. I think that potentially what the future is with events and event marketing too, is like well, less about trying to do like a gigantic conference and more about like doing lots of little conferences all across the country or 100%. something like that. As it applies you know, to events, totally. Uh, a big tent with lots of room for little tents. The big tent is the organization, uh, but everyone under the big tent at the same time is not is not where things are going. Yeah, you know, it's like it's, less about like getting a thousand people on your webinar and being cool with getting 20. Yeah. And really speaking to them and, and yeah. making a, a deep connection with those people uh, and creating uh, like a movement. I don't think any movement ever started by shouting at a thousand people. It started in a small room somewhere with five mm. people and they, they really said their peace of mind and those five people were changed and those five people became change agents who found five more people in this other small room. That's the kind of like evangelical uh, movement starting that you you would want from your marketing. But to do that, it requires you to do some like really unfun things at the beginning as far as when it comes to your metrics. Like you're going to be like, eh, this is a lot of effort for 10 people. And you're like, yeah, but these 10 people are going to call them something, you know, we're going to, we're going to elevate them. We're going to, they're going to be our, you know, think tank, our, our core, our, you know, whatever, like some group. And you're going to call upon them later and you're going to make them feel special and they're going to have ownership and they're going to have some identity in this. And if you're like marketing an event, like there's a lot of different ways that you can utilize those people to co-design with them uh, to, you know, just to say like, I'm having this really niche topic. It's about the future of this or that. Uh, and I want to invite, you know, people to this, whoever wants to come to the table here, but we're going to ask you to participate and we're going to ask you to be part of it. And who you get are the people who are or have a lot of energy. And then from that, they they have something that we don't do in marketing often enough is create stake. Like there needs to be a stake in this for them. Like there needs to this needs to be about them more than it needs to be about you. And it's very difficult mm -hmm. because almost, almost everything is designed to be about you and about how, how can I just make you do the thing I want you to do versus I want to make you a part of us. I want, I want you to, to actually feel connected, be part of this journey, uh, be someone who is contributing. And even if it's a client for like a, an event, you know, company, like the answer is, is like, Hey, we want to create next level events. We want to create the events that no one else will create. Who wants to create an event that no one else would create that everyone else would say no to your dreams too big. We, yeah. we don't think it is. So we, we bring those people and then we create the, and this, this is the, the dream core or whatever. And you, you know, you have a shared experience with those people. You have them contribute their big ideas. You know, you create some kind of system that, that makes it so it's possible and everyone shares. And, and at the end of it, these 10 people are transformed and they're like, we're going to do these 10 events. And those 10 events are going to be the launch pad to attract 10 more for each one of those events of the people who are also just crazy enough to like do those kind of things. That's how, you know, you do a movement is you focus on like really, really doing something different uh, in a small group of people who are willing to like be um, almost the, you know, like what did, and I'm like, 
the furthest from religious person, but like, I was just about to say like, you know, like from, from the Bible, you've got, I, I can't, I've never quoted the Bible. I got in my you. Entire I got life. you. I, I got you. Yeah. Catholic school apostles. boy right here. Yeah, exactly. I have four more Catholic <laughs> schoolers. You know, you get your apostles. This is a small group, right? It's 12 yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. But they had to give up everything. And, you know, they had to, the nice thing about not being religious is I can pick the things I like from everything and be like, I, like this part. <laughs> I don't like that part. I like this Me part. Uh, but, uh, but I like the idea of like, you start with a small core of, of hardcore people uh, yeah. who, you know, were f- totally focused on that. Uh, and you see it like that's how every association started, by the way, if you ask associations, which are really just bringing people together, you know, same very, about the first yeah. like six people that were part of it. Right. Yep. It's always about a, some bar at a hotel. They got together. The world isn't doing this. No one's doing it. You know, I want to join something, but it doesn't exist. What if it did? What would it look like? And 20 years later, they're an institution. So I think this is a great segue to like my my last kind of like thought process about how marketing is changing. Is that like the point of like potency in small groups? Like I'm thinking about it, too. Like um, we did an episode a long time ago where we were talking about event uh, live event coalition. Uh, I was just recently reorganizing our entire database of content. So it reminded me of that episode. Well, like <laughs> it started off really small. It was just a couple people being really concerned about like, how do we get more jobs for the events industry as at least freelancers were losing all their jobs. And it got huge, really freaking fast. Almost to the point though, where it comes so big, it can't actually do anything. And I think that's a big problem with a lot of associations with, uh, you know, a lot of movements is it gets so big, you can't really do much. And to kind of segue this into my thought process is that like inbound was also that way. It started off very small and it was very potent and HubSpot got to control a lot of it and educate a lot of people on it and give really tactical tips. But now if you told someone like HubSpot, what was the last time that someone who was really passionate about inbound, did HubSpot really lean to build that movement? No, their job is kind of like maintaining it now. But where yeah. I think the few, where it's working well for them that I'm seeing is that now they have so many evangelists and other eight like other agencies, other software companies that are all on the same bandwagon that are giving specific tips within that part of it. Um, For example, like you have, um, you know, like, for example, maybe someone talking about content delivery for for inbound marketing, you have people talking about how do you do social media, right, for inbound marketing. And now it's not just HubSpot giving all those tips, you know, they just kind of maintain the overall vision of inbound and things like that. But now like all their partners and their customers are now giving the tactical tips that keep that movement moving forward, that then leads back to HubSpot as long as they are truly evangelists for HubSpot, then at that case, they're not only raking in other people who are, you know, able to keep the movement going, um, they can build on that like energy in a lot of ways. I was just thinking about that, like that thought process of that, like how a, a movement almost loses energy and then how do you then yeah. allow it to actually I mean, keep potency? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the answer is, uh, you split every so often, right? Like you, 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 you kind of like break it down into smaller areas so you can capture that same magic. But what you've done is you've created uh, like something that is foundational. Uh, and that is, uh, a, like, uh, like a proven track record for your ability to, um, galvanize people together. But like, if I'm, if I'm inbound, it's like, all right, Every year, two years, three years, we should create another term, another movement, another thing that is splintered from this uh, that pushes it fur- further. Because otherwise, what you end up in is, is like, like you, you, you said it exactly as I was thinking it. Businesses, they either they either grow or they protect. You know, like that's their goals. 
And, and most people who are protecting, like they rarely come out and say that's what they're doing, but you can tell. I've worked for companies where I'm like, oh, I see. You think your best day, I mean, you might not say this out loud, but you probably believe it. Your best days are behind you, uh, that, you know, you built something and there's all this other competition that didn't exist before and it's harder now and et cetera. But you didn't recreate the thing that got you there. You know, you're resting on your laurels. You're, you think that you built something and it's built. But eventually, you know, in business and in all every other <laughs> environment, yeah, all things die and, and, and you either grow or you die. Right. And if you're not, if you don't or have grow a growth or, mentality, or evolve, yeah, like I was like, because grew makes you think like, oh, I have to scale up in revenue and people, but it's like, yeah, change in some sort of way. Yeah. So, I mean, if I was like creating inbound, I would create like three or four other types of, you know, ideas like that, that concept. And I would start piloting those. Uh, you know how to run it. You know you know how to create the the infrastructure in order to take an idea and turn it into uh, a movement. Uh, but you, if you stop creating movements, all you'll do is you'll you'll end up like having a bloated, you know, bureaucratic movement, which won't move at the same speed as it did when it was the most magical. You know, like when it had the yeah. most potency. That's the difference. It's like I've I've been in associations and talked to people that were there at the ground floor and they're like, you don't even understand. Now it's all bureaucratic and it's slow and the decisions. But like back in the day when we started this, there was just 20 of us and we moved quick and yeah, anything could happen. And, and it was we took risks, you know, and they pined for those days because that felt vital. That felt something that they would like they rolled their sleeves up. But now if you ask them to do something, they're like, ah, I can't be bothered. And you're yeah. like, well, you were one of the founders. It's like, yeah, but that's, that's not the same. It's not my thing anymore. It's it's the next generations. And I think that that from a business standpoint, you need to think about it like that of, OK, what else can we build on the back of this and take some risks? And I really think that, like, uh, if you have a it's really difficult when you have a risk and it it succeeds for you to take another risk because um, you felt like you did it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you've now you've got more to lose. But the reality is, is that you, you can lose at any time that that's always mm-hmm. there, you know, like so. Um, yeah, I mean, content marketing isn't dead, you know, for, for any stretch of the imagination or, or nor is it just moved into marketing. only purely awareness stage. Maybe, maybe and or, and maybe it just requires um, you to do it differently now that it's an institution, now that it's yep, the, the basis. Yeah. yeah. And so that, with that, just just react, you know, in a way everyone else isn't. So I had one last little like tie into my thought processes and future marketing for all of this too, is that like you talked a lot, we talked a lot about this, like maybe you're bringing your evangelists in to help build this movement that you're doing. I thought about it too. And this relates right back to your web three comment is that like big part of web three is that it's, you know, it's decentralized. So it's, it's community driven, it's movement driven and it's from the bottom up, not from the top down. And I think that's what big problem is when it's from top down, you get the bureaucracy, you get everything like that. But I'm thinking a lot about the brands that I've recently interacted with from a, from a non-traditional content marketing S thing. So I'll use two examples. One is when I started learning about crypto mining and I wanted to learn about like how to do it and all these things like that. There's tons of content online, people writing how to's and you can learn about it. And, and, and obviously like Ethereum itself doesn't write about crypto mining, but like all the farms and the infrastructure that get used to the technology, the apps, they're writing about how to do this stuff. I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos where they're talking about this stuff. But then one part of it that I thought was interesting is I ended up joining some Discord channels and Discord's like huge in the decentralized world. So this is very, very common. But I think like, you know, for example, a a, a community platform 
could be in her place for discord. But what's interesting is that like, I am now there and that's where I go to ask my questions and it's ran not by the people. Some of them are ran by the, like the, the company, the farm or whatever the technology that's doing. But a lot of these things started as by the users. And I'll use an, another example is like ubiquity, who is like a it infrastructure, like network switches, routers, all that nerdy stuff that Will loves, also has a Discord community. And I don't think it was created by Ubiquity in any sort of way. It's created by the users, and then Ubiquity probably was like, oh, let's hop in here and help. I'm wondering how much of this also is just, again, like going back to your thought process of like bottom up, it's about, you know, creating this movement, and it's about giving them a space where it doesn't feel like they're the ones that are doing it, that you're the one providing this community, whatever it is. It's like it's driven by the user. So like maybe a potential idea around marketing is like take your best customers and then, you know, start the community, get it all kickstarted, but then hand them the keys and say, build this however you want to build it. What sort of content do you want to see? What How can we how can we help maintain this for you? What can we do? You know, all these things like that. And then helping answer questions when it's appropriate, but making it about the users driving it rather than the, the, the top down. No, I think that's great. I mean, I think that, that the creator economy element of uh, Web3 and like where things are going uh, is, is a direct result of people wanting a stake uh, in the control and uh, the future uh, of their time investment. I mean, it, we're, we're, we're looking at, I don't think, I say this a lot because it's, I, I don't think that people talk about it a lot because it doesn't feel great, but I think we're going to be looking at an unparalleled time of free time. Like, and, and it's not since like the industrial revolution that we're going to have more quote unquote free time. And what that means is that people are going to spend their time on more passion based things than ever before. And that's already pretty high. Like how many, like I'm an adult and I play like video games, but like, I can't imagine my dad doing that, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, he'd like work and then he would go to like some kind of social place maybe. And it would have some kind of potential work environment or a golf course where there would be work in and whatever. And like that was a long day. And then his grandparents would have worked like what, like a 12 hour or his parents would have worked like a 12 hour day, uh, you know, doing whatever. And, and, and like we, we just like work less and less and we're able to have more freedom and put our energy behind things uh, that benefit us, that are fulfilling to us more and more and if you want more people to like give like lend you some of their energy in order for your you know goals to be met you have to give them some sort of stake in it so like having those kind of like creator groups or those chats or uh uh you know any kind of like opportunity to have this uh, bottom-up idea i think they also should benefit somehow from the fruits of it uh, and it could just be benefiting of it from the stake of, you know, who knows, lots of different ways to benefit. But uh, I think that 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 creator economy, like even when I was talking to Gartner about like, what are the pillars of the, the Web3? And they told me it was uh, interactions, creator economy, interoperability, uh, immersiveness and identity. And like if you take identity mm. and creator economy and you give people status and you give people the ability to have some sort of stake in, in your community, then you've propped up and you've enabled community leaders uh, to think like entrepreneurial bosses of their, of, you know, the community that you're a part of. Uh, that's, that's the next level. Like, I think that like that takes it. So it is a movement where it's, you know, I mean, movements are almost inherently decentralized. The 
the worst movements in history eventually coalesce around hyper centralization. If we go back to the religious mm-hmm. thing, you know, it's pretty decentralized yeah. when it's a bunch of people wandering around the deserts talking. It's pretty centralized when it's a, uh, you know, a uh, a city state that has mounds of gold and a standing army, you know, like it, and everything else is pushing against that and and wanting to have their identity come out, you know, and be who they are and have a place within that and also have a stake in it. But we're asking people to do things for free or we're asking people to do things to jump through hoops because it benefits you. But we're not asking what's in it for you. Like, what what do you want from that? And that's why I think that right where I started this from that's most important is really, really focus on your mission and 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 skip all the things about what your business provides and, and offers and leads and generation and go back to your mission and say, okay, what what is in this mission that's not being done that requires more energy, more people, more voices? And how can I solve this mission? I'm going to stop thinking about myself as a business for a second. And I'm going to start thinking of myself as someone who is solving a huge problem through the mission that I was put here to do. And if you do that, you might be able to reorganize everything you do and start creating evangelicals and people who will work with you around the solving of the mission. And you give them stake in it and you give them some you know, reason to do it uh, and use their energy towards, you know, and then realign maybe your business to fit into the mission. If you do all of those things and you're trying to solve that at, at all times, uh, I think your content and everything you do, you know, that was what you were doing previously will just seem different, will seem more uh i don't know just rise above damn i think that's such a great like way to wrap up the episode uh nick did it pretty well for me and i don't really have much else to say beyond that if you remember Um, all the emails and the hashtags then that's the part that i have the hardest time with (laughs) yeah so we'd love to know your thoughts as we wrap this one up um, you know, what do you see the future of marketing, event marketing, and events playing into that in the future? Shoot us an email, eventbrew at helloendless.com. We'll be around. We're ready for your answers. We love your emails. Um, and also, you know, tag us on LinkedIn, hashtag eventbrew. That's, I think, where we're spending most of our time these days. So give us a shout on LinkedIn with Me hashtag eventbrew. Sure. So yeah. <laughs> it's my social media of choice lately. Yes, definitely. Um, cool. Well, Nick. That what an awesome conversation. Just get to nerd out on marketing with you for an hour. I hope to everyone else also uh, enjoy this episode. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And um, yeah. See you next time. See you next time. Event Brew out. Wait, that's the other Brent one. Two. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Brew two. <laughs> Brew two. <laughs> Brew two. Brew two. No crew. No crew. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Event Brew. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head over to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or tell us what topics you want to hear covered. See you next time on Event Brew.